Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 71st edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. And speaking of Abbey Road, yes, we visited Abbey Road and had our picture taken making the crossing. Action Jackson was visiting from the States. He came to London with his family and carved out a little time to see me so we could listen to some tunes. But what we really wanted to do was get into a rock and roll adventure. So we did a rock tour with a guy named Lee as a bus and he has a ton of knowledge about rock and roll and the history of British rock and everything that happened here in London. Such rich tales. And this guy's read, I don't know, hundreds of books. He's pieced together. He's like a forensic scientist almost of rock and roll can figure out when people were in certain places and how they moved together, how certain albums got made and shared and all that kind of thing. We just had a blast. We had a killer time and we wanted to talk about it here on the show. But in addition to that, before Jackson got here, I got to see Genesis live at the O2. It just turned out to be their second to last show ever. I guess that was on Friday, March the 25th. And I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I'm I'm glad I got to see Genesis. The band were tight and great. The stage show with the lights and everything was amazing. Really was. But poor Mr. Phil Collins is not in great shape. And I think they're just trotting him out there, finishing up these dates. And then he's going to ride off into the sunset. We'll talk more about that as we get into the show. But we want to uh, thank everybody for listening to last week's show, where we had interviews with Amanda Lehman and Anna Stella, two women who rock. They're great reactions to the show. Amanda's talking about her new single, One Last Spin, uh, which is an anti-gambling cause attached to it. And Anna Stella told us all about the UK rock festival she's covering this summer and new young bands that we all need to be aware of. It was a lot of fun to do those two interviews. Lots of great downloads and comments about that show, and we appreciate that. Of course, we're proud to be a member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's a collection of about 100 different music podcasts, all genres, 
uh, with some amazing shows, some great podcasters, some creative folks who really do a great job of putting together something you want to listen to and to get interviews that, just like us, as we try to improve our show to stay up to the standards of our fellow Pantheon podcasters. And speaking of which, Pantheon is running our new 90-second clip, which you can download at the end of most all Pantheon podcasts coming out in this week. And we appreciate that greatly. We're so proud to be part of the network, and we hope that people hear it. Not only want to download and subscribe to our show, wherever you get it, where it's Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods has been great to us lately. Wherever you go, please download and subscribe, and think about leaving us a positive review. It just helps us find more fans like you, and if we get a hold of it, we might just read it on the air. There's a lot of great Pantheon podcasts to discover, and I encourage you to check them all. You can go at Pantheon Pods or www.pantheonpodcast.com. But enough business. Let's get on to the fun. Jackson and I hadn't seen each other in almost a year. Jackson had never visited me in the three years that I've been living in London, thanks to COVID, thanks to travel restrictions. But we had a great time just being together, being able to run around London and hunt down a few historic spots, including the Chelsea Drugstore, which is now at McDonald's, including Swan Song Records, including the spot where they took the picture of Pink Floyd's Animals cover, Battersea Power Station. Just a lot of fun. And talking about Genesis as they wrap up their careers, their live touring careers. I was glad to be a part of it. Was a bit of a disappointment, but let's get into that. We're going to do a rock tour of London and Genesis' second to last show here on The Wolf. Here we are together again for the first time, broadcasting this time not from somewhere in Florida, but from jolly old England. Yeah, first London reunion of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast. And we've had a pretty fun day, man. Yeah. It's a nice rock and roll tour that took us all over London to see all sorts of amazing places in English rock history. That And Lee, our guy, God, that guy. If you think we know a bunch of minutiae, you got to meet this guy, man. He is unbelievable. He's off the charts. Highly recommend it. Had a lot of stuff. Uh, there was some stuff that had always been there. Abbey Road, you know, you can go back there and pick that up, no problem. But he, there were a lot of places that had since become other places that I would have never have uh, picked up on that he was able to give us the tour and give us the inside information onto these different places, uh, including uh, where the place where Steve Clark from uh, Def Leppard, one of our favorites, passed away. Didn't know that was in London. Didn't know where it was, but it was pointed out to us and uh, just added to the um, to the layering of the tour. What was the highlight of the tour for you? Highlight of the tour? Um, I don't know. We saw a lot of cool things. I mean, it was cool to see Jimmy Page's house, I thought, because, you know, we had Christy Alexander Hallberg on the show who wrote Searching for Jimmy Page, and she had been there, obviously, and it's kind of part of her book, not to give too much away. But, yeah, I thought that was pretty neat because, you know, we love Jimmy. I mean, he's... You know, first day we met, I put a Jimmy Page poster on our wall. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. But when he took us to the little side street that had, it was like three three buildings right next to each other. Mm-hmm. One was an old dairy yeah. that became an incredible sound studio where a lot of great music was recorded. Including that, that was where the first Pink Floyd Tracks Arnold Lane and, and C.M. Lee Play yeah. were recorded. And some, some greats play there. And then like... Basically, next door to that was where Steve Clark spent his final days, right across the street from a pub because he needed to clean up from his alcohol problem. Probably not the best idea. Yeah, I didn't even know. I mean, I, I knew the story of Steve Clark, but I didn't know 
the actual final place and would never have would never have known that without it being pointed out to me. So and for our buddy Neil, you know, at Def Leppod, that was a big we sent him the picture. I hope uh, I hope you like that, Neil. But uh, and then right next door to that was Eric Clapton's house, allegedly. And he's like, I pe- bring people here all the time, and like the gates were open. He's like, Well, I've never seen the gates open. Like he's been doing this for six years, and he's like, I've never seen the gates open. So like we got to take pictures through the gates of Eric Clapton's home, which is maybe a little creepy. Um, <laughs> so we didn't stand out there too long. But it's like God, this one just random little street, and I could have walked down there. I could leave down the street from there. And walk past it every day right. and I never would have gotten any of that yeah and I mean honestly like you could probably say the same thing about Abbey Road if it didn't have the sign out in front of it once you stop and you look at it you say oh yes I, I've seen this building before I know it and the crosswalk too you've seen it a million times but if you weren't paying attention you just blow right through it and you know it took us to Battersea Power Station you know where the of course the animals classic cover with the pig flying over it by Pink Floyd. It didn't have quite the color as the album cover did, but uh, it was kind of a hazy day down there. But I mean, you know, this guy Lee knew everything. He's like, oh, you know, they're having trouble selling because Battersea Power Station is now like condos or, you know, I think they have other things in there too. But they've been having a hard time selling it. But Sting apparently bought, you know, the big one upstairs or whatever. Like, yeah, well, Sting can do that. And the nice part about that deal was that not only did he show us the power plant, but he showed us about where the same vantage point was where they took the, the photo for the uh, for the album cover. So I thought that was pretty cool. That was cool. His knowledge and, and, and the way he loves rock and roll, obviously, he loves the minutiae like we do. I mean, I, I can't hold a candle to his knowledge, certainly not of, of everything we saw in London today. But I think he gave us some respect uh, that, you know, we did know enough. Right. We, we weren't like the rookies and the... They just saw the the Elton John biopic. Oh, Rocket Man! Yeah, yeah they just saw Rocket Man. I was like, "Hey, let's go to England and see where Elton John played." You know, uh, allegedly on one of the other tours, there was a question about which instrument George Harrison played. So we didn't ask him that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're we're a little past that. You know, no, we had a, we had a great time. I mean, just seeing some of the hangouts and haunts of the Beatles and the Stones, and we're talking about early 60s and mid 60s you know i mean some of this is like really hollow ground for rock and roll junkies like us i mean this is where it all started yes you would work and do your thing during the day but then you would go hang out with the like-minded people right and the people on your level certainly you know and to see not only brian epstein's house but then down the back alley to the old bar it was secretly a gay bar where, you know, he and the Beatles used to hang out and, you know, it was great for him to be able to pull boys down a back alley back to his house instead of like out on, you know, in public, you know, with, with you know, because Mick Jagger has to do that for the most part, right? So just crazy stories, all these little fun details. And it's just amazing how much rock and roll history lives in England. And, and in London, yeah. in London town. I mean, there, there are other spots. I mean, we talked about Birmingham on the Duran Duran episode. But yeah, certainly certainly London. I mean, you, we could have we spent, what, three? Actually, it was more than three hours, probably mm-hmm. three and a half, 340. We could have easily spent another three hours on there uh, going to different places. He had a whole Queen section that we didn't get to. But I mean, I'd love to see that. on. Uh, definitely take the tour again. Highly recommended if you are want to see the rock and roll spots of London. Yeah, and he has different ones. I mean, I think he has a, a he has a Led Zeppelin one, he's a Beatles one, a Stones one. Usually, he mixes them together because everybody, you know, everybody likes a little bit of that stuff, right? But to give him all the credit that he deserves, yes, definitely, definitely 
was more of a the more that you know and the more that you can interact with them, I think the better the tour gets. Also, I would say the smaller the group, the more uh, the more conversations you can have. Yeah, because it's just the two of us. But you can, I mean, he's got a bigger van. You can put six people in there. I'm sure if you really want to, seven. But uh, you know, Jackson and I thought this would be a fun way to kind of do to spend a little time together, right? You know, we'll see some stuff that we've never seen before, and we'll hopefully we'll get a tour guide who knows what he's talking about. And boy, howdy, did we, man! That was that was great. And it's it's rocktours.co.uk. Lee is your man, and he's he's fun, you know. He, he loves rock music, and I guess he used to have a bit of a social media following, but I guess he's uh, he's kind of got off the grid on that. And well, I understand that, but yeah, does a lot of his own research. He told us a couple of stories that he put together himself. He had bits and pieces, put the clues together as far as the dates that things happened, and uh, yeah, had some knowledge that. Uh, was kind of shocking on a couple of the things. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get too into it. No, no, don't want to reveal too much. Right, but there were definitely things that that uh, that he brought up that I am not that I. Some of the stuff was like, yeah, I think I've kind of heard that somewhere before. Or that name sounds familiar, but there were a couple of things where I had to do a double take, and uh, yeah, shocking. I know, and usually, I mean, someone who can stump me and Jackson. Well, anybody can know any little one-bit detail about something that, right. that we don't know. But that he can stump us both, like, repeatedly and repeatedly. Have you ever heard of And like, uh, no. But, I mean, we're not English, so we didn't grow up here. We, we don't have all the references he does. He was about 10 years older than us, but yeah. his... His knowledge was fantastic, and he was super. God, he couldn't have been nicer. I think he's read every uh, rock book on the face of the earth. Yeah, man, I think we're gonna have a lot of rock book <laughs> recommendations for you coming out of this. Going to Swan Song was cool. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're big Zeppelin fans, but he, he took us on a few different spots. Going to the Swan Song office, which I never would have found. I wouldn't even thought to have looked them yeah. up. And we got our picture taken there. But then also, it, it was right down the street from where the Sex Pistols were kind of like stationed, you know, where they were managed. And he was telling us Malcolm McLaren had a big thing for Peter Grant and I guess admired him and it was producing, was it a film? I think so, yeah. About Peter Grant? Yeah. And that, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but, you know, the interesting thing you're talking about, Swan Song, he, Lee had, uh, he had, he had uh, laminate stuff where he would show you the original pictures or pictures from history. Right. But he had, we were talking about Swan Song, and he had a picture of Iron Maiden, Hart, and Paul Young. Mm-hmm. Every time you go away, Paul Young. And he's asked, why do you think I have these photos? We had no idea. Right. Well, they were cleaning Swan Song out. They found unheard, unopened demo tapes from those three acts that they just never, I mean, obviously they went on to be, have fame and fortune elsewhere, but could have potentially been part of the Swan Song family. Could you imagine Maiden and Swan Song? Yeah. What if Jimmy had somehow gotten involved? Or, you know, I mean, look, you can't deny Rod Smallwood's success managing Mm -hmm. Iron Maiden, but what if Peter Grant had been there to guide Rod Smallwood? You know, wow. Yeah, no, that's amazing. But no, I mean, I guess they said, you know, when they, oh, we've got a new record label. All right, hey, send us your yeah. tapes. They, there were probably, a, you know, thousands of tapes, most of which are pretty bad. Right. But, you know, hey, Iron Maiden's got one heart and, uh, and Paul Young, of all people. But it's, it's just little details like that. When we went to Jimmy Page's house, you know, he knew, of course, the whole history of how it was built, who owned it. How the guy who built it, it took him six years to build it, but then we moved in and three months later he died. Yeah. 
the whole uh, the whole Jimmy Page versus Robbie Williams dispute about I guess Robbie who has a seventeen wait no it was bigger than that because he's got seventeen forty seven rooms and seventeen right. bathrooms that's right that's right he then wanted to add on an entire back portion of it including an underground. Uh, I believe movie theater or sound studio or something, and uh, Jimmy just put the kibosh on all of that, which apparently led Robbie Williams to say he was like a psychopath. Psychopath. Yeah. And then Robbie Williams won the case so he could do it, and then he didn't do it and he sold the house. So who's the psychopath, Robbie? Right, yeah. Just, you know, it, show I mean, some respect, boy correct. band. Uh, yeah, I would, that, that is weird because I would have thought he would have just been over the moon to be living next to Jimmy Page, but apparently he was a little too big for his britches. Yeah, whatever. I think we're bigger in the United States than Robbie Williams is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely three hours well spent. Would highly recommend it. And and I think the other thing too is like if you're really into it, I think you can customize the tour. Well, that's right. It, it, like I said, I think he has a Zeppelin, like a pure Zeppelin tour, and maybe you could get all the way out to Olympic in Barnes, which is pretty far away. Obviously, there's all sorts of Beatles ones. We we started out going to Saville Row, which is cool because in my three years of living here, I never went there. Ample opportunity, yes, but I never went there before because I, you know, I walk by Abbey Road Studios basically every other day. So I, I get my Beatles fix around here. But then to be there and just kind of realize and just see the lay of the land, it's it's. I don't know, watching Get Back even a few times, it's it's different being on the street versus just watching it on the film. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's no, the, the I don't know, they have an official name, those blue plaques with that commemorate historic landmarks. They don't have one there in front of the old Apple studio. And I, it, I yeah, they do. They do? Yeah. And then what am I missing then? Oh, they, they don't have one. Uh, like Brian Epstein. That's right. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. But I mean, it's, it's you would probably walk past it also. Mm-hmm. Because, but you, when you stop and look at it, then you, it all comes back to, oh, this is the actual spot. You get to look up and see it. I mean, we obviously couldn't see the roof, but you could look up and have the perspective on that day of somebody being on the street and not knowing what was going on, but hearing the music. It must have been, um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, no, I guess it was, it would have been pretty uh, epic because, the, I mean, the last time the Beatles had played live was years ago. So you knew something, something big was happening. I don't think you knew it was that. I don't think you were you would have understood you were watching the last performance. Yeah, and having seen Get Back and see how they, you know, you go downstairs to the studio, you can go up to the offices or whatever. You can see those are the railings. Those are yeah. the steps. That's exactly where it is, you know. It was, you know, it, it's neat, you know. And he's like, and that, well, it says Amber Crombie and Fitch on the outside. Now, he said when it was Amber Crombie and Fitch, they were smart enough to do it. So they had stuff you can go upstairs and you could go up on the roof. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that is smart. Good, good idea. I don't know if it was the pandemic that closed Abercrombie and Fitch or, you know, people just said it's not 1998 anymore and (laughs) we don't need an Abercrombie and Fitch so much at this high retail space in London because that building's got to be worth tens of millions of pounds. Uh, Just even if the Beatles never did anything there without the provenance of it, just the real estate in central London is worth that. And then you add that on top of it, that's an expensive piece of property. It would be sad if it was turned into offices or residential condos or something like that, because it should be a a museum, you know, or some kind of public thing. It should be a historic landmark. Yeah. It was, Lee did say something about uh, McCartney buying it. I mean, who knows? But I mean, the city of London should do something with it. Uh, at least in part, because it is such a huge 
landmark from the, from the Beatles. And I remember that scene when they first got there and there were those two girls that would stand there every day. I guess birds, they call them here. The Apple Scruffs. Yes. And and just to, like that's the exact spot to see where they would stand there and just wait all day for them to come in. And it's overwhelming. Yeah. You know, so I mean, and a lot of little things like that and, you know, stuff that, you know, this used to be a pub, you know, now it's a whatever it is, you know, it's a convenience store, it's, you know, whatever it's in these modern times it's turned into. I mean, yeah, I mean, the first, the first Apple, I'm sorry, the first EMI studios are, you know, a pizza place now. And yeah. then that's, that's when they, you know, finally moved over to, to Abbey Road. But, you know, it's, it's great. He knew all this stuff. We went to the place where Jimi Hendrix died. Yeah. Um, we went to the place where Carly Simon did her famous uh, album oh, cover. Yeah, for You're So Vain. Oh, uh, she's so foxy. I love you, Carly. <laughs> if you're listening. Wherever you are, I love you. <laughs> but what was it? The drugstore where uh, where Mick went into. The, oh, that, the that Chelsea drugstore. The Chelsea drugstore, yeah, is now McDonald's. But again, I would have never known that. I would have just been like McDonald's. But yeah, to have him point that out there where he went in to have a soda with Mr. Jimmy. Yeah, on the King's Road. Yeah. Which was just for King Charles II. His road, his run from palace to Kew Gardens. Nobody else could be on it but him. And then the first place they built, uh, the pheasantry, yeah. uh, is a place that Eric Clapton had lived. So, I mean, just he was so full of knowledge and just to hear all this stuff was so much fun. It bothered me that he said he was nervous picking us up. Yeah. Because, I don't know, I guess he usually has people, you know, who are casual fans. He's got to think about... All right, what should I tell these people that would that'd be interesting to them? Because he did listen to a couple of our shows. <laughs> and he's like, when am I going to get to talk? And I'm like, well, look, man, we're here to listen to you. Um, we, we talk on our show and we edit out all the parts where we sit there and stare at each other for 30 <laughs> seconds silently because we can't think of what we want to say next. Make it sound like we have this amazing conversation, this banter that goes back and forth. But really like, <sighs> I'm talking to you for like 25 minutes now. That was really I really want to do something else. <laughs> that's fun. I mean, that's, and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I mean, he's not the only one in town, obviously, but he's the only one I need to go back to. That's right. for sure. I, I would go back to him tomorrow to do it a different, you know, see all the different stuff. Absolutely. So thank you, Lee. And hey, you want to get the English perspective on stuff? We got to get Lee on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting because I asked him on the way out what his favorite album of all time was. And he said blood on the tracks from Bob Dylan. Interesting that a, a Brit would, out of everything that's come, out of everything we saw today, out of every band that's come out of here, it's Bob Dylan. And so, yeah, love to get his take on that. Uh, kind of the the English perspective. Somebody who grew up here listening to American music. I mean, we're kind of the same way growing up in America, listening to English music. I guess you want what you don't. You think it's great it's what's not from there. Right. The exotic. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Correct. So yeah, I, 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 but I mean, we could have him on. We could probably have him on once a month. Absolutely. Yeah. And he would educate us to no end with details of names and dates and places. And um, he's going to send us some pictures and stuff like that. And he once had 1,000 times the followers we had I on couldn't social believe media. That. Yeah, I mean, I, that, was, that was insane. When he, when he said the amount... I, th I thought maybe he was adding some zeros to it, but I had him repeat it and know it was that many. So, yeah, obviously somebody who's very passionate um, about the subject, knows a lot about it, and it, it doesn't seem like he would ever get would ever get tired of talking about it because we had more of a conversation than just a, a tour guide, and I think he enjoyed it. We definitely enjoyed it and had a great day. <laughs>
Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. You want to transition over to Genesis? Okay, yeah, I'm not sure what I want to say and don't say about Genesis, man. Okay. This is a... <laughs> well, I mean, it started at the beginning. You've been looking forward to this show for how long? Yeah, for, for a long time. I mean, look, so our background with Genesis is that we grew up on 80s Genesis because we were MTV children. And, and of course, Phil Collins, too. Not to mention Mike and the Mechanics. Right. Um, they yeah. always get overlooked, but that's kind of part of the family as well. We grew up on the 80s, and, of course, Genesis was all over MTV in the 80s. They're all over America in the 80s. Just to give you some perspective on the sales, and this is not Phil Collins. This is just Genesis. All right, because in, in the 70s, they were maybe gold-selling artists, you know, here in America, maybe even in Britain, gold. And then there were three, which is the first album, just to have the three of them, Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, and Phil Collins, who are the three members of Genesis today and have been for, well, since 1978. Mm -hmm. You know, that went gold on both sides. Then in 1980, Duke, right, platinum in Britain, platinum in the U.S., okay? Then Abacab comes. Oh, now it's double platinum. In America, going gold other places. Then they do 1983's self-titled Genesis, and it's four times platinum in America, twice in Britain, platinum a few other places, and then Invisible Touch is the big one, right? I mean, it's you know it's like 16 million copies sold. Yeah, six million in the U.S. alone. It's four x platinum in in Britain. You know, it's top ten all around the world. Huge. And then We Can't Dance, which I personally don't like. We can get into that. More in a minute, but that that was big though because I remember that was on that was on MTV when we were in college. Yeah, and that I was our so freshman I year. Yeah, yeah, I can't dance. Was that the that that's the, the big one that was on all of the time? And it sucked every time. <laughs> but we're gonna get into that. But it also had no son of mine, which at the time was kind of a very bold song, you yeah. know, about you know a father not respecting his his gay son. And look, I mean, top ten and number one in a ton of places yeah. all over the world. 4X Platinum in America, 5X Platinum in Britain. They sold a lot of records. And that doesn't include Phil Collins' solo career. Yeah, because we were talking about that before. Like, if, if during the 80s, Phil Collins never really went away. He was either doing Genesis or he was doing his solo stuff. And he worked with Eric Clapton, you know, doing production and drumming. He also had the big, uh, what was that, Easy Lover with uh, Phil, Phil Bailey. Phil Bailey, yeah, which was not technically his record, but he was all over that. Too. Helped that sell Chinese game. Wall in a big way for Phil Bailey. No doubt about <laughs> it. Oh. Played with Led Zeppelin during the uh, Live Aid performance. Yeah, but we don't like to talk we about We don't like that. to talk about that, but it is a thing that did happen. Yeah. You know, starting in 19, we had Abacab yeah. and Duke mm -hmm. were the 8081 records for Genesis. In 81, he put out a little record called Face Value, right. which went to number one and top 10 all over the world. Look at this. Five times platinum in the U.S., mm -hmm. five times platinum. Britain, four times in Australia. Diamond. Oh, my goodness. Platinum in the Netherlands. I mean, all over the world, this thing right. sold a ton. Okay, all right. Well, great. That's, yeah. a, that's a great first first one. Okay. All right. Well, now they're going to push you to put a second one out sure. the next year. Yeah. You know, before you do a Genesis album, Hello, I Must Be Going. Yeah, okay, well, that's only three times platinum in the U.S. And, and three times platinum. Plus, he was doing, like, Against All Odds soundtrack oh, at that time, right. right? You know, yeah. and that shoots up. And it's like you, he's all over the place, right? 
So I did 83s back to Genesis, but then he does no jacket required. Look at the number yeah, ones well, all over the world. Yeah, that one sell, okay? Oh, diamond, 12 <laughs> times platinum in the U.S., six times platinum in Britain, diamond in Canada. I mean, platinum all over the world, huge! And then they do Invisible Touch. Right. And then he does But Seriously, which was number one apparently everywhere oh, in the whole goodness. world. Yeah. Four times platinum in the U.S., nine times platinum in Britain, seven times platinum in Canada, Austria, Australia. I mean, huge. And then he does We Can't Dance, which may not have been that good, but it sold incredibly well. And then he did something called Both Sides, which I was kind of unaware of. But it oh. did go platinum because it came out with our 90, junior yeah, year. ninety-three. Of college, mm -hmm. and it was kind of like I was over him at I Can't Dance, you know. Yeah. I did was not paying attention anymore, but platinum around the world. So that's pretty impressive. Plus, then eventually he got a he got an Academy Award for the for the Jungle Book song that he did. And that sold oh, good. Really? platinum. Yes. Wow. He has an Oscar. He's got a live album that we had, Serious Hits Live. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was Remember, good. I had that when we yeah. were, I bought it at the used store right. across the street. That was definitely Park worth Records. six bucks or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, I had four times platinum, four, four times platinum, two times platinum. I mean, you know, the guy was a money-making machine. But that's, that's how we got into Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. It's from 80s. And it was just about eight years ago or so, they did a BBC documentary, Some of the Parts, I think it was called. And it got over to Showtime, I think, in the U.S., so I watched it. You know, I'm a sucker for a good rock and roll documentary. And I didn't know the backstory. I really only knew Genesis since they became the three of them in the big hit machine, right? Right. In the late 70s and yeah. into the 80s. But I, always, but I knew Peter Gabriel had been in the band, and I knew they had this guy named Steve Hackett who had been in the band, but I didn't really know anything by him. Mm -hmm. I, th I knew he had been at a band called GTR with Steve Howe of Yes and Asia, and I love Steve Howe's playing. So I'm like, okay, I'll watch this. And I thought it was fascinating. I watched it, you know, like 10 times in like five days or something like that. Just okay. Couldn't get enough of it. And it had an accompanying release, kind of. I mean, like the band ended up releasing something called Archive. Letter R-Kive, K-I-V-E, three-disc set that went through Genesis over the years, but it also threw in their solo stuff. So when Peter Gabriel went solo, they had Salisbury Hill on there. And they had it in the air in the night for Phil Collins, and they said run silent from deep, run deep for Michael Mechanics. And, and then they had Steve Howe on there. I mean, stop worrying. I had Steve Hackett on there, and they had the song called Every Day. Okay. And I heard this song every day. I'm like, that's an amazing song. That's such a good song. It's got good melody. It's got good lyrics. The solo at the end is epic. And it came out around the time, late 70s, where you were hearing epic solos, like stuff from Eddie Van Halen and yeah. things like that. So, you know, Angus Young was doing his thing then. So I'm like, yeah, why wasn't this a bigger hit? And that's when I got into Steve Hackett's back catalog. And then came to realize, hey, Steve Hackett is very active. He makes a new album every couple of years. And he tours about every year and puts out a DVD and a live thing from most every tour. So when I started to get into Steve Ack, I'm like, he's amazing. And I never knew this music because they never play it in America. And I think my, we talked about this before. So we, we got into Genesis from the Genesis record and that's nothing like the back catalog. Right. And then, so I, I mean, it, they had other records and I think I listened to the lamb lies down and I said, well, I, I don't really care for this. And, and the so, invisible touch is kind of cheesy for us at, at, at at that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? that's, yeah I mean, I it was ubiquitous. Right. But I, I remember that album, but I, like, I didn't own it or anything. But, yeah. So I, I think I listened to Lamb Lies Down and said, well, if this is, this is Genesis, then I think I'm okay. 
you know, not listening to that. But then to go back and hear the other stuff, you're right, you know, the Steve Hackett stuff, which you turned me on to, and then to go back and listen to, you know, uh, the Selling England by the Pound, which we did an episode on. Number 28. Uh, yeah. And, and th- that is that is good stuff. But it's not, again, it's not what we were listening to in college because it's not guitar riff driven. Right. Right. I mean, we're Zeppelin, Colt, uh, you know, it was the stuff that we liked to listen to. Guns N' Roses was huge when we were in college, you know, and then when they, when you got into stuff like Alice in Chains or Storm Temple Pilots, you know, and we just did the last show that we did on Keith Richards or a couple shows back or the next show. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) when we're going to release that. (laughs) That's the kind of stuff that we were into. We even listened to Kiss. You know, so progressive rock, as it was not called back then. I, I don't know when the term progressive rock came into play. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if 20 years ago I'd heard. In, 20, in 2002, I bet I hadn't heard progressive rock. No. Yeah. Right? So, it, it's. I mean, it's just another way to market this stuff, I suppose. And I like Prog Magazine and all, but like, I'm not sure where the term originated. Maybe that would be something someone could help us with out there. But now I'm like, this is great stuff, so I want to learn more about it. And it is, you know, it is thinking thinking man's rock or thinking person's rock, sorry. It's not just cars and chicks and stuff. Not there's anything wrong with cars and chicks. Hot rods and chicks. There you go. <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe you do have to be a little older. I mean, you know, I don't know. There's plenty of teenagers who've been turned on to Genesis and Pink Floyd. And, you know, you put a lot of different bands in there. Rush, ELP, King Crimson. Yes. Other bands that we like, or at least we like part of their stuff. But I don't know. I mean... Then I was into like, okay, well, then Genesis has this whole other thing. And a lot of people believe that's the one and only, or that's the best version, at least, of Genesis. And there's a lot of tribute bands out there. And basically, they all cover, not all of them, but most of them cover the really old stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, when Peter Gabriel was the singer. Yeah. And then, and it's more the stuff that we used to listen to before, and still do. It's more like a, it's just a bed for the guitar to play over. Where this is more like a, more of a composition where everybody is is contributing, and you know, of course, in the in the prog genre, you have the great keyboard players um, who get a lot of the solo time. They share it with the uh, with the guitar player. Yeah, so you've got the great Keith Emerson, Tony Banks, Rick Wakeman. I guess you throw Tony K from Yes in there too. I mean, really anyone plays. Yes, Jeff Downs is one of our very favorites. I mean, if you really want, we were talking about before John Lord. Throw him. John in Lord, I would throw him in there, even though they call it heavy metal. It was very proggy. Right. Rick Wright is the godfather mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely overlooking people, I'm sure. But you know, it, it, it just wasn't something that's like American teenager. It was something you kind of had to search out. All those bands that we mentioned had some kind of hit mm-hmm. on the radio uh, and if you're yes maybe you had a few more than you know say ELP or King Crimson did but but see yes is another one where we, we're distorted on yes because our first taste of yes was Honor of a Lonely Heart Correct. on MTV when Correct. we were 10 years old you yeah. know so then if you go back and listen to the topographic ocean that's just it's totally different. different you know yeah we're or like, drama yeah. well the voice isn't quite right but it's like I really love drama man. Tempest Feud is so good man. <laughs> don't kill the whale man that's all good but so that's so then alright so 8 years ago I was starting to get into Steve Hackett in the old Genesis I had an opportunity to go see Steve Hackett in the front row and I took it and I was blown away just how good he was and how professional he was and, and so then, then I just became a big fan 
And then coming over here now, I've, I've seen Steve Hackett once in London. I'm trying to see him again, trying to get Jackson over for that. And so I never... Here's the other thing. Genesis has only toured twice in the last 30 years. After I Can't Dance, and I would not have seen them on that tour because I'm like, they're going to play that song and I hate it and I don't want to see it. Plus, they were they were part of the past for us in 1991, 1992. That, that's not what we were into. Yeah. And grunge had happened even though we didn't like it. Or at least I didn't. But I, it kind of it, it kind of was the death knell for... They say it's death knell for a lot of hair metal bands, but for me it was death knell for like those kind of older... 80s pop groups and Genesis. For us, at that point, from our knowledge, from our experience, that's exactly what they were. Yeah, and you figure by, by 1991, 92, these guys were probably at least 10 years or maybe maybe more younger than all the rest of those bands from the 80s. So yeah, I think we it was kind of more like our music that we were giving you experience first and not listening to something from the past that was a recommendation. I mean, even though even though the Genesis and the Yes stuff from the early 80s was something we listened to first, they were still older. Right. Like th- these were the bands from the 90s were more contemporaries of ours. So it, it I can see how, yeah, we would have just said, well, that's for kids stuff. And mm-hmm. certainly at that point in time, we were not going to go back and listen to like Foxtrot or anything. That was just not, it just, it just didn't have the, I mean, let's face it, we're Americans. We want instant gratification. You want the big hook. You want the the lyrics that you can that are clear solo, and then you're done four minutes out. We're not listening to you know eight, nine, ten minute composition. Right, and look where we were. We're 18 years old. Guns and Roses just puts out Use Your Illusion albums, and Metallica puts out the Black album. And but we're gonna listen to Genesis and short little bald Phil Collins talking about You're No Son of Mine. I'm like, oh, who cares, man? You know, it, it was just not. At the time, and you know, that one in particular, I still don't, I still don't like that record. But going back and listen, even you go back and listen to Invisible Touch. Yeah, it's not, yeah, I would not say I was a fan of that record. I remember it. I remember hearing it over and over and over again. But no, I could, there was never a point in my time, in my life, where I said, I need to own Invisible Touch. Although I do own it, because I get it for five bucks. Because <laughs> they sold a jillion of them, you know. But no, I mean, but going to find selling England by the pound wind in the weathering land lies down trick of the tail all those Steve Hackett things and even you know and then there were three which had the first follow you follow me kind of like single where they're like you know our audience doubled overnight because suddenly girls were interested in yeah. that <laughs> no. it was a little easier without Peter Gabriel and his flower outfit right but so but then you know so they did I Can't Dance the We Can't Dance tour wasn't interested then then eventually Phil left the band. They did Calling All Stations with uh, Ray Wilson, and it it missed. I mean, it was waylaid and yeah. not what people were into. I think they can't, they certainly canceled the U.S. tour. I think they they toured in Europe and the U.K. a bit, but they 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 couldn't even sell the U.S. tour. And then they were kind of done. And then in 2000, I guess six or seven, they did the Turn It On. I think it was Turn It On Again tour, and allegedly. They were toying with the idea and working on putting the five of them from the 70s heyday back together. Okay. That's what that tour was supposed to be. So they were doing that. And then from what I understand, and it makes the most sense, eventually Peter Gabriel said, nah, fuck this. (laughs) You know, I haven't had to deal with these guys in forever and my life is good and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And just getting involved in all this is just more mess than I need. It wouldn't have been Steve Hackett. And he comes out and says, it's not. It's never me. I'm not the one saying we're not going to do it. He, he, I think, would love it. But 
yeah, Peter Gabriel doesn't need it. And so then they're like, all right, well, we already put stuff in motion to see about a tour. Now whatever we can do with that, we can do it three ways instead of five. Why don't we do it? And that was their last big tour. And I remember when it happened, because we were, you know, like 35 or 33 or whatever that yeah. was. And I'm mistaken, but they didn't come to Louisville. And I'm like, do I really want to go someplace, like travel far, spend a lot on Genesis tickets? I don't even really like them that much because it's still at this point in 2007, I had discovered Steve Hackett or the Peter Gabriel years. Okay. So I'm like, nah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, besides at this point, at that point, you had seen bands like, Oh, we can get back together and then we just do this every three years? Right. Let's do that. So I figured, all right, if I really want to do it, that'll probably happen. But then Phil started having some bad times and he had some alcohol problems, another divorce. And then he started having all these physical issues. So he did play some drums on that tour. I've got that Roma DVD, or wow. you know, it's it's actually really good. Or I've got the I've got the live album. It's actually really good, but eventually it became he's not gonna be able to do that. It's like, okay, well, he can step out and sing. We can get a drummer. Chester can do it, you know, whatever. But then his his health really started to deteriorate. And I think because of his back issues and his surgeries and some injuries he's had from there, he's kind of chair or scooter ridden. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it looks like he, he, even on his last tour that he did for his own stuff, he was not getting out of that chair. I think they could have had a better one for him. It looks like kind of an office chair. Like you'd think he needs yeah. one. He needs that, uh, what is it, that Dave Grohl throne? Right, the Axl Rose used, yeah. yeah. I mean, see, that's the thing, man. I mean, like, you're already short. You're already bald. <laughs> Can we get you something that makes you look regal or right. something like that? It's like he just, I mean, look, I, I hate to kick a man with a down, when he's down and he's obviously in a lot of pain. But he kind of hobbles out there with a cane. And then he sits there in his chair with his gut hanging over his junk. <laughs> You know, gripping the mic, because I don't know if he can grip it with the other hand, because it has some nerve damage. Look, I'm glad I saw Genesis play. Well, okay, so how did he sound? How does his voice sound? He sang all the words pretty well. He didn't didn't take that many off. (laughs) And it was generally in key. Uh, And he had a couple of young men. One was named Patrick Smith, and one, I'm going to botch his name, so I'm not going to come up with it. But anyway... And one of them sounded a little bit like him, so they could sing behind him a little bit and beef it up a little bit. But they could also sing Fill in the low spot. for yeah. him if he wants to take one off. And sometimes he would point the microphone to the crowd uh-huh. and say, you know, you know, I sing, then you sing kind of thing. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like Freddie Mercury. Oh! Yeah. It was like, <laughs> like he was passing the lighter or something like that. You know, after he just lit his joint. God love him. I mean, from what I can see, he's in desperate pain. And from the interviews and the lack of banter between, I mean, he's obviously on some serious pain medicine. And I think he needs it. But the sad thing is what that does to your speech, what that does to your brain and the way you hold yourself and the way you move like you're in a bit of a trance Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's pretty obvious to me. Yeah. That he was, he was having a hard time. And he apparently has been for years. And that's the thing about, I think it's gotten worse in these last 18 months and 24 months. Because when I bought the tickets, like, okay, we're going to do this. And it was supposed to take place about 18 months ago, like November of 2020 mm-hmm. and or yeah. October. And then, you know, oh, COVID, we're not going to do it. We'll move to April 2021. No, okay, we'll move to October 2021. No, okay, we'll do it in March of 2022. So, I mean, I'm fortunate I got to see it. But they were always going to do these European dates later. So last year it was because 
October was postponed because Mike Rutherford got COVID. It wasn't just like, we can't do the show. Because I went to see Steve Hackett in October of last year. They had, I think it was Birmingham and maybe three London dates. But they were always going to come back. Then they were going to America. Then they were always going to come back and do Europe this spring. But what made it cool is they went and did Europe. And then they finished here in London. Which they would have finished in Paris or Amsterdam or something like that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. If they hadn't. But they had to come back and do these London dates. So I saw the second to last Genesis show ever. Yeah, that's they've got to. This can't be anymore. They've got to call it now. I, I know. I we were talking about. I did see an interview with the three of them, and the the interviewer said something about the last Genesis tour. And Phil Collins said, "Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you never know what's going to happen." And both Banks and Rutherford behind him were like, "There's just no way. There's no way that they can go on like this. He's just too. He's just too frail at this point in time. I mean, unless he makes some kind of miraculous recovery, which I don't know. I, I can't see them doing booking another giant world tour again. I don't see Phil Collins being out in the public eye. Period. Again. I mean, unless he gets." another surgery and it helps him be able to walk and, and walk yeah. with a normal gait and fairly pain-free again. I don't see it happen. I, I don't see them rolling him out anymore. He did his farewell yeah. solo tour and this is it. And, and look, the band were great. Okay. Everyone else, Nicholas. Yeah. How did he do? Nicholas Collins. Yeah. He always got to be a little skeptical. because like, gee, how'd you get that yeah. job? He did an amazing job in hitting all this stuff from all of the years he did a fantastic job, and I think he's got a bright career doing what he wants to. And Daryl Sturmer, who has been with him, I mean, basically since Steve Hackett left. Yeah. Daryl Sturmer has been their guitar player for 45 years, and he's fantastic. And, and even on Firth of Fifth, something that I love and, you know, hold dear off yeah. selling England by the pound. He did it, I'm, he, he did not do it better than Steve Hackett, but I think I could say he did it as well. Okay. You know, as the, and he's played it a ton over the last 45 years. They don't take it out of the set list. So he was great. Rutherford was good because he, he you know, has a couple of cool things where he's got a guitar and a bass. He's got a 12-string guitar, yeah. double bass, you know, all that kind of thing. It was cool. And Tony Banks, he was great. He doesn't smile. <laughs> he's such a, like, proper English <laughs> charterhouse schoolboy he doesn't smile when he's playing because he's working, I guess. But even when Phil introduces the band, he's like Tony Banks. You know, he kind of sits there with his lips pressed together. I'm like, come on, man. These are your last shows ever with Genesis? Smile, you sack. But the visuals, man. Oh, yeah. You were saying the, yeah, the, the screen, screen the behind and yeah. the light canopy over it, which would could bend and it would go down and up and cantilever and... It, it was an amazing stage and stage show. The presentation was fantastic. And, you know, they put pictures of the three of them up all the time because even though we had good seats, we're still pretty pretty far away. Yeah. Amazing place, the O2. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, he he would sing it, but he, he didn't have the inflection that he used to, especially on something like Turn It On Again. Yeah. Turn it on. <laughs> or like Home by the Sea. I love Home by the Sea. It's, it's kind of a deep... Cut off of uh, is it off of Genesis? Off of Genesis, but I mean that's he sings pretty, on the record anyway. He sings, he's pretty forceful. Exactly. Or when he goes, sit down, yeah. sit down, sit down. Now it's sit down, sit down, sit down. It's, there's no sit down. It's sit down, and like you know, maybe the guys in the background do the more sit down. So it's disappointing. Okay, I mean. 
And you know he should be standing up to get the diaphragm out. I mean, I know plenty of people play at the piano and sing, and there's drummers that sing, but if you want to sing, you've got to stand, yeah. and you can't do that. And Yeah, so overall the show was really neat. Visuals were amazing. The band was tight. And, there, you know, there's some that, that ended up pretty good. You know, Afterglow was good. They did an acoustic, well, yeah, they did an acoustic set. Okay. Where they dismissed the backup singers, and it was just the five of them. And they kind of switched places on stage, I mean, except for Phil. <laughs> you know, Tony had kind of an electric piano kind of thing. Yeah. And they reworked a few things. They did That's All, Lamb Lies Down, and Follow You, Follow Me. And, you know, I'm with my wife, and, you know, we get to, get to love on her and do Follow You, Follow Me, and it's a little different. Yeah. I thought it was really cool, you know. So, and like, no son of mine, because there's so much music in it, you can't hear that his voice is bad. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there were some songs where you couldn't do it. But honestly, Jackson, I was like, sometimes I was just shaking my head. Like, I'm waiting for what I know is supposed to come. And then I hear what he croaks out. And I just, I just shake my head like, damn it. You know, I should have seen him 15 years ago because this is a box checker. It's an honor that I could say I went to their second to last show ever, but found them late in life, and this was my first opportunity, and I'd say it, it's a disappointment. It's a disappointment. Man, I'm sorry to hear that, because I know you were looking forward to it for, for so long. I mean, obviously, we, we hope that Phil gets better, feels better, and may, maybe this is what he needs also to kind of take some time off and just, I mean, the tour is over, so, you know, go home, recuperate. Right. You know, we'd love to see you do something else again, even if it's not a tour, uh, because like we were talking about, for, for the 80s, he was ubiquitous with the 80s. I mean, you could not get away from him. He was always around, and we even forgot that, what was that one about, um, I think it was White Nights, he did the the... Oh, yeah. That, I don't think that was on one of his albums, but that was another huge hit that was all over the place. Martin, I, I yeah, can't yeah, remember yeah, the girl's yeah. name. Yeah. And then Against All Odds, that was another one. That was a huge hit for him. Yeah, he was he was a big part of the 1980s, guessed it on Miami Vice. That was great. Phil the Shill. That's right. Phil the Shill. Much better than Ted Nugent, although Ted Nugent looked awesome. And Phil was a better actor. He did drive a cool Corvette in that one. But yes. Yeah, because yeah, I think he'd been in a couple of movies already, right? By the time he made it to TV? Yeah, and, it, and he was kind of a child actor. Like, he's allegedly on Hard Day's Night, one of the kids in the movie, you know, done a couple things over the years. But he's a multi-talented guy, you know. I, I didn't realize how, in America, he became kind of a disliked or a butt of a joke in the 2000s. It was like, thank God, you know, we're out of the Phil Collins years where you know, it was all generic and cheesy. But over here, it was that, and I guess he came off as arrogant in a lot of interviews or whatever, and so the press really turned against Phil over here. Really? Like, it was like the fans kind of turned against him because he's, like, cheesy. Yeah. But over here, it was that, and the press were just like, he's a dick, you know? Or, I mean, didn't he sell, like, 100 million records on his own? Yes. So, I mean... There's a question. So there are two... No, I'm sorry. There are three people who've sold 100 million albums or records, which I think includes singles, as a part of a band, and then also as a solo artist. Okay. I said, there are these three people. Who do you think they are? Well, there's gonna be there's gonna be Paul McCartney, and everyone usually yeah, gets that that's, one. That's pretty that's pretty big. Let's yeah. see who else was big in a band and then big on their own. Like I'd say Eric Clapton, but I don't think he I don't think he sold that many. Not as a band. Yeah, not as a band. I don't think so. Who was the biggest artist when we were kids, eight, nine, ten years old? Uh, it was it? No, I don't know. Who was it? We were kids in 1982. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? The album that sold. 
50 million copies. Oh, Michael Jackson. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Although, did the Jackson 5s? I guess they did sell that many. I mean, with, I think between singles and everything. Yeah. 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 So, obviously, Michael Jackson. Well, then, you know, okay, so that's two. And then three, and then so three would be Phil Collins. And nobody ever yeah. gets Phil Collins. They come up with Michael Jackson. They come up with Paul McCartney like, Phil Collins? Are you serious? Say, yep. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the problem, too, is that there are a lot of people that you probably can't distinguish one from the other. Like, was that a, was that a Phil Collins song or was that Genesis? Especially from that era. But, yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, how could you sell that many records and basically not come off as arrogant? I don't know. I mean, Michael Jackson was, I, mean, I don't know, that McCartney did a pretty good job of always kind of being Paul McCartney. Yeah, he's an amazing man. Yeah, just <laughs> just kind of like that that cool, you know, yeah, I was in the Beatles, but I've done some other things too you may have heard of. And then Michael Jackson, well, he was just, lived on another planet. Yeah, he, yeah, poor guy. Yeah. But I'm glad you finally came to London. You know, I was here all the stupid pandemic couldn't come over as much and business, you know, you do business over here, but they're like, nah, let's just do this on video conference. Yep, right? everybody's at home. They're not going to visit them there. So yeah, I'm, yeah, great to be back. I mean, this is this is a, it's definitely a city that is very accessible, especially as an American. Everything's in English, British. It's English, English. So, you know, there's a little bit of a difference. But, but I can read it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that we are... Uh, yeah, just really happy to be here. Great to to come back and visit and to get to do this uh, show not over Zoom is fun. Yeah, we've got a couple of cool interviews coming up. Fun thing to share is Jay at The Hook Rocks, who has an amazing podcast and over 350 episodes. He ran a March Madness bracket, greatest <laughs> album of all time, and somehow I won! I won! It's the first time I ever won any kind of bracket ever. So thank you, Jay for the opportunity, uh, and I hope I get to talk to you about it here real soon. Part of the Pantheon Podcast family. Fantastic show. And he's on Zeppelin Chronicles with the boys from Shout It Out Loudcast, who, if you haven't heard us talk about them, this might be your first podcast listening to the first time listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Yeah, had a great day. Yeah, great to be part of the Pantheon family, like we said before, and, and to get to, to kind of interact with these other people, too. Other shows on the network is fun. Yeah, we're looking forward to having some real cool guests on uh, and you know hopefully some of our pantheon podcast friends good to be in jolly london town will i be here forever you never know what the future brings who knows i'm just glad that while i was here living here jackson you got to come here and we get to do i don't know it was almost like a rock and roll scavenger hunt with a guy lee <laughs> who totally knew his stuff you know yeah. i mean who do we aspire to be kind of like that guy i mean the stuff that he knows is fantastic. The details, the people, the places, the timelines. And some of it, he was like, well, I read these five books. And then I figured out that yeah. this is how Pete Townsend got David Bowie's acetate of, you know, what I'm like, goodness, how do you even put that together, man? You're like... A detective. We should we should make like documentaries or you know rock and roll syndicated programs they can put on axes and stuff back home and have that guy as one of our experts. Yeah, the the forensic rock and roll scientist. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to episode number 71 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. So good to have Jackson here in London, face-to-face, in the flesh. And we had a blast just being out, running around London with our new friend Lee, talking rock and roll, talking rock history, finding all these amazing 
old spots where all this amazing history has happened here in the city of London. Something I've wanted to do since I've lived here, but thanks to COVID and not being able to do everything you want to do over the last couple of years, I just haven't had the opportunity. And when Jackson came over, I said, yep, this is the time. And, and we had a blast. It was a good time, not just to see Jackson, but to see all these fun spots, Jimmy Page's house, Eric Clapton's house, the place where the Rolling Stones used to hang out, the place where the Beatles used to hang out. Just amazing stuff. A lot of fun. And, of course, I am happy that I got to see Genesis play. Their second-to-last show ever. Phil was in bad shape, but I'm glad that I got to check that box. I'm glad they got to go out on top at the O2 in London to wrap up their career. The visuals were amazing. The light show, the stage, the whole band sounded great. It's just hard to see Phil in that kind of shape. But let's just hope he gets the medical attention he needs. He gets some maybe some surgery, some time to recover, and maybe he can be more his old self again one day. As usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Please let us know. You can tweet us or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. We're trying to branch out into other forms of social media like Instagram, like Facebook, so keep your eyes open for that stuff. And let us know which albums, which bands, which concerts, which DVDs, which rock properties you want us to review. And next week, we are very, very excited to announce that we will be interviewing Deborah Bonham and Pete Bullock of Bonham Bullock, who put out an amazing blues record. It actually comes out April 29th. Of course, most people recognize the name Bonham. Yes, that's John Bonham's sister, Deborah, who is an amazing soul and blues singer. And her husband, Pete Bullock, who's been touring with Paul Rogers for years, and they've made a few records together. Deborah and Pete and this one's some covers of some amazing blues tunes and they couldn't have been nicer we sat down and spoke with them for a while and we can't wait to share that interview with you next time here on The Wolf and of course we are proud to be members of the Pantheon Podcast Network and community so many great podcasts music all sorts of genres on Pantheon we're proud to be a part of it we're proud to have our 90 second promo running on all those shows coming out this week So to all you rockers all around the world, until next week, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.